when have you lost money or made mistakes? So this one's important because if you have a non-answer, they're not going to believe it. If you just say, oh, well, we've never really had a loss. We've never had a, a mistake, et cetera. Then it just shows that, you know, you think you're invincible and then that scares them because it shows that you don't respect risk or that you're not even learning anymore. And you just think that you're so good at trading your hedge fund or you're so smart at um, building up your chain of retail centers that you don't need to be learning and watching. And um, the other reason why this is important is that if they ask this and you don't bring something up and then through their own due diligence and their own reference checking, they find a couple really big problems and you didn't bring those up to them proactively, they're going to think you were trying to hide those. And it's always much, much better to bring them up yourself and you can frame the context around it, show, you know, hey, we're not perfect, just like everyone else. But here's how we're stronger because of that loss. Here's how we're stronger because of this thing happening. And these are our systems and processes for executing based on other events that might happen like this in the future. We do have a um, four to five hour workshop. Uh, we used to do these all in person. Obviously, they're all virtual right now. But um, we have a workshop on influence and persuasion that you probably heard me mention earlier. And Robert Cialdini is one of the most quoted psychologists alive today, who's an expert on influence and persuasion. And he always talks about how it's scientifically proven that if you admit something that's not perfect, then it makes everything else more believable because everyone knows that not everything is perfect and not every one of your 80 trades or 12 deals have gone perfect the whole way through. And so by admitting that, it makes you more influential. So obviously you don't just wanna make something up that's not genuine or real, because that's the fastest way to have influence and persuasion backfire on you is to look like a used car salesman. But if it makes you more influential and it's just the honest, transparent thing to do, then you should look for ways uh, to do this. Um, we have, we've seen this come up uh, several times with funds that, that we've worked with where when they share something up front that could be damaging. It helps the whole conversation go better uh, with investors. We had um, one group where the investor had committed $5 million to a investment firm in Florida. And we were just having a phone call to kind of paper the LLC and form the investment. And just during that process, something came up that wasn't brought up earlier on. Um, and it's just a single sentence or two that the CFO of the company said, and it just killed the whole deal. And the, we thought the deal was kind of done and that it was going to happen. And it would have been one of their bigger investors. So that's just an example of this happening. Um, Leo, if you want to share, I think you have your hand up to share something real quick. Yeah. So my question is, is there, um, is, is there, can you be too transparent? Um. <clears throat> I think that I would fault on being more transparent than less. If you're not sure, then I would just disclose it. I think over disclosure is always the way to go. I would just say you could be too transparent at the wrong time in the relationship. So the right time to disclose it um, really matters. So disclosing pretty much everything by the time they get to the data room stage of due diligence, meaning like after a pitch deck and teaser has been shown, but do you wanna put on your teaser? Oh, hey, our partner left us two years ago but here's how we fixed it. Probably not on the teaser. Maybe that goes in the pitch deck and say, here are three big events that weren't positive, but we learned from them. And here are five things we're excellent at. And here's our track record over time. 
maybe there's a way to fit stuff into the pitch deck or you just talk about it verbally when you go over the pitch deck. But um, when you talk about it and in what light, I think um, is definitely important. And if you're not sure, then I would just err on disclosing too much rather than the opposite is kind of the rule that we typically do. I don't know if that helps or if there's something more specific. No, it, it does. Um, I, I, I sometimes, you know, I, I usually wait until, you know, people start asking questions before I dive deep into, you know, full disclosure on what happens. And I, I don't string them all together. I kind of break them up a little bit, not necessarily on purpose, but just so it's the, the flow of communication. But, you know, it's always just good to know if you're like, yeah, sometimes you just need to shut the hell up. But, you know, the less you lie, the less there is to remember. And I don't want any surprises with anybody. So I just, I probably over-disclose, but not early. Right, right. Sometimes I over-communicate as well. I write very long emails sometimes when explaining something to um, replace a 40-minute phone call because somebody can read something in five minutes. It would take 40 minutes to say an audio and they can share it with a team member. And it's just a communication style that's really bad if it's a new investor relationship because no one wants to read an essay from someone they don't know well. But um, sometimes I err on the over-communication just to make sure the positioning is understood and the risk management's understood or you know, they would have tried to address the, the risk that we see on the deal. And um, it saves a lot of time doing that if you're a fast typer. So I, I, it's kind of related to over-disclosing, just kind of over-positioning or making sure the whole context of the deal is being looked at and considered. Cool, thank you. Yeah, sure.